Geno Smith is back with the Seahawks. What does his return mean for the team at the quarterback position as they head towards the draft and the 2022 season? I'll be breaking it down on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We are now officially two weeks away from the start of the 2022 NFL Draft. I'll be wrapping up our pre-draft position-by-position reviews, checking out some tight ends on today's show, plus answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. In a much-anticipated move, the Seahawks announced they've re-signed quarterback Geno Smith to a one-year contract today. All along, especially ever since Russell Wilson got traded to the Broncos last month, Pete Carroll has reiterated numerous times that Seattle wanted to bring back Smith. He seemed to be a priority after starting three games in place of an injured Wilson last year and playing fairly well in those contests. He knows the offense. He's experienced a lot of starts under his belt early in his career with the Jets, and he's brought leadership. He's liked in the locker room. For those reasons, they wanted to bring him back, but there have been some discussions the last couple weeks that weren't necessarily going the way the Seahawks wanted them to go because without Wilson being in town, Geno Smith was looking for a bit more money because he is going to get a chance now to compete for a starting job against Drew Locke. So you look at the contract details, and a lot of fans got riled up today when they saw reports that his contract is worth up to $7 million. But what you have to understand about this contract is that that is with incentives. That would be the maximum value in 2022 for Geno Smith. And If he ends up winning the starting job over Drew Locke and he meets whatever those incentives are, whether it's mostly playtime based or it's based off of performance escalators, number of touchdowns, yardage, completion percentage, whatever. If he meets those incentives and the Seahawks end up winning a fair number of games and he plays fairly well as the starting quarterback, seven million for a starting quarterback is pennies. I mean, that's extremely cheap. So 3.5 3.5 million to 4 million in base salary. That was what was reported by the Seattle Times, Bob Condota today. That is much more understandable why they would pay that price point for a quarterback that had not started a game since 2017 going into last year. He's hardly played in the last four seasons, but he did perform fairly well in those games for Seattle last year. They have some confidence in him. He understands the offense. Again, This is a move that I think everybody was anticipating was going to happen. And now that it has, I think really the timing makes a lot of sense because off-season programs are going to start for the Seahawks on April 18th. So getting it done a few days ahead of time ensures that he is going to be on the roster along with Drew Locke and Jacob Eason. Those are your three quarterbacks right now. You can get rolling with your competition for who's going to replace Russell Wilson. And based on what Carroll has said recently at the league owner meetings, Geno Smith is going to be atop the depth chart to start things off because he does have the advantage of knowing Shane Waldron's offense, having started three games running his offense. He he knows DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. 
So he's got a lot of advantages going into this process over Drew Locke, who, yes, he's got Noah Fant, who came from Denver to Seattle with him. That's going to help him some. And he's a younger quarterback at 25. Geno Smith's 31. So certainly Locke has some advantages going into this. But Geno Smith has those built-in advantages. He can capitalize on you know knowing the offense, having a relationship with Metcalf and Lockett and many of the other Seahawks players. And if you look at the way that players are reacting on social media today, again, this is a guy that is liked in the locker room. He's popular. He has shown leadership skills. So that's one of the reasons that the Seahawks have treated this entire situation the way they have, where they were hoping that they were going to be able to get this done. It was a priority, not necessarily something they were going to do in front of some of their other free agency needs as they were continuing to scan the market to see what quarterbacks were out there. But all along, this was expected to happen. And so now Smith's going to get an opportunity. You look at what he did last year. He really fit that point guard bill that Pete Carroll talks about at the quarterback position nearly to a T. He made some mistakes with the football as far as fumbling at the end of the Steelers game, taking too many sacks, but he only threw one interception. He completed almost 70% of his passes, and he was significantly more efficient than Russell Wilson was on third down, albeit a pretty small sample size. Russell Wilson wasn't able to figure that out the entire season. When he came back from injury, even as he got healthier, third downs were a problem for the Seahawks most of the 2020 uh, most of the 2021 season. Really, it's been an issue for Russell Wilson several years running. And so the Seahawks are going to be trying to improve in that area. And you can at least look statistically and on film. Geno Smith was taking some of those shorter throws and completing them that Russell Wilson's taken some criticism for the last few years for passing up, trying to take deep shots downfield. Those throws over the middle, Geno Smith was making those throws. And so he was able to move the chains, not necessarily a great third down percentage, but he was much more efficient with his opportunities. And he completed nearly 30% more of his passes on third down situations. And so that is something that he has that the Seahawks certainly are looking at going into this competition, thinking this is a guy that has proven that he can move the chains. He's proven that he can lead the offense. He's not going to turn the football over very much. That was an issue early in his career, but that wasn't a problem last year. So the Seahawks seem to be content with the idea right now of going into next season with Drew Locke going against Geno Smith. And the nice thing about this deal is, yes, up to $7 million may sound like a lot, but that's with incentives. Three and a half to $4 million for him to potentially be a backup is not really that much money at the quarterback position. It's more than what he's made in recent seasons, but he hasn't had a chance to really compete for that starting job. You can still go out and draft a quarterback in a couple weeks in the first or second round, and you can have a three-player competition. You know Pete Carroll would be fired up about that, bringing in maybe a Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis or Matt Corral or Sam Howell, one of those players to compete against Geno Smith and Drew Locke and they could even consider after the draft, Baker Mayfield, Rob Rang, and I talked about it yesterday. That doesn't seem like a move that's going to be rushed into for the Seahawks. But if the Browns can't find a suitor to trade for him, and I think they're going to have a very hard time doing that now. Most teams have their quarterback situation pretty well solidified, at least to the point they're not going to be taking on Baker Mayfield's $18.5 million fully guaranteed salary. They're going to have to either eat a large chunk of that to move him, or they're just going to have to cut him. In the end, that's my prediction what's going to happen. I think the Cleveland Browns are going to have to cut Baker Mayfield. And then at that point, when he becomes a free agent, 
I could see the Seahawks making a run at him. If they draft a quarterback early, that's probably not going to happen. But if they don't do that, and they still have Drew Locke and Geno Smith at the top of their depth chart, then absolutely Baker Mayfield, who two years ago threw 26 touchdowns and just eight picks, leading the Browns to the playoffs. He's only 26 going on 27, former number one overall pick. You take that stab there and try to sign him. You take that opportunity to bring him in, have him compete against your other two veterans, and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder with the way things ended in Cleveland. So as Pete Carroll said at the league meetings, they are not done in the quarterback business, even with bringing back Geno Smith. That is not going to deter them from continuing to look at other free agent options that may be out there, looking at draft options in the first couple of rounds. They might even draft a guy on day three just to bring in another quarterback if they don't love any of the top prospects, don't want to use one of those high draft picks on a quarterback. They don't have to. Next year's class is going to have some studs in it that they can try to make a run for for their long-term QB. Heck, Baker Mayfield, with his age, could still maybe be that guy if you bring him in hungry and he's able to be in an offense that I think fits his skill set well, have a complimentary run game to go with him. So they've got a lot of options. At worst, they've got two experienced guys that have started a lot of games in the league that are going to be vying for that starting job. And potentially one of them, Drew Locke being the younger one, would be the one you would hope would seize uh, this position and maybe potentially play his way into a long-term role. Uh, but you add Baker Mayfield or a rookie to the mix, you're going to have that competition that Pete Carroll covets. And it gives you the best chance to have a quarterback in week one that has the backing of the rest of his team and gives you a chance to be competitive in 2022. And that's what the Seahawks plan to do. They've said all along they don't want to rebuild well. Your quarterback better play well but it doesn't have to be the next coming of Russell Wilson either. And so that's something to keep in mind. They are looking for a quarterback that's going to be able to caretake this offense and not make mistakes and be able to occasionally hit shot plays downfield. Those are going to be keys for the Seahawks at quarterback moving forward. Based on what the moves have been so far, they seem to believe that maybe Locke or Geno Smith can be that guy, or they could just be using coach speak. And this could be an example where they are just trying to throw out a smoke screen so they can draft a young quarterback. We'll have to wait and see, but they've got a lot of options at their disposal. And that's what makes this so intriguing going into the draft. It's anyone's guess what the Seahawks are going to do at the quarterback position. For now, they've got a couple veterans that may be able to get the job done, at least as bridge quarterbacks. Gives them a little more flexibility if they don't want to force the issue and pick a quarterback early in this year's draft. Coming up next, I'm going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. This episode is brought your way by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting, stats, and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports and wagering informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Coming up here in a couple weeks on Thursday, April 28th, make sure to tune into the Locked On NFL Draft's live coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft with all three days of real-time analysis from our extensive lineup of experts and insiders. And for those of you dying to know who your team will take, Catch Odyssey and Locked On's NFL Mock Draft Special hosted by Brian Peacock 
and former scout Matt Williamson of the Peacock and Williamson NFL show all week leading up to the first pick. All right, let's get to your questions here. It's our weekly Locked On Seahawks mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you, our valued listeners. So let's get to it. Our first one coming from Carl Coleman tweets, which is more likely, Kayvon Thibodeau to the Seahawks at number nine, Malik Willis to the Seahawks at number nine, or Baker Mayfield coming to Seattle via trade or cut? I actually think even with Geno Smith signing today, that number three is probably the most likely because I don't think at this stage Malik Willis is going to drop to number nine. I do not think he's going to be there. I think somebody's going to either trade up for him or there's going to be a team early, like say the Detroit Lions at number two, that's going to decide, you know what? Jared Goff's not our future. Let's go get the guy that's going to be our franchise quarterback. I just don't see any way that he's going to drop to number nine. I think number six at Carolina is probably the latest he's going to get picked. If he gets past that, there will be teams trying to trade up in front of Seattle at pick seven and eight. And then Kayvon Thibodeau, I think that he's such a talented player. And yes, there's questions about his motor. There's questions about his consistency. Some are questioning the things he's interested in off the field. I think that's ridiculous. But you look at the complete package. There's no way in my mind that he is going to not be picked in the first seven or eight selections. I, I in fact, expect top five picks still. This is a guy that for a long time was viewed as the number one selection in this draft class. I don't think he goes number one to the Jaguars, but I think he goes in the top five picks. So really have these three options. Where else is Baker Mayfield going to go? If he gets cut, then obviously maybe a team like Pittsburgh could keep him in the AFC North, and he might be better than Mitch Trubisky, but... Really, Seattle is one of the only other places that you look at the quarterback situation, you can make the argument that Baker Mayfield could come in right away and be the best player they have at the position. So I think of those three, that is the scenario that is most likely to play out, even with Geno Smith coming to town. If they draft a quarterback early, that changes this dynamic some. But even then, the Seahawks might be like, he's only going to be on a one-year deal. Why not? bring in as much competition as you can. I just think that's the most likely of those three different scenarios. Cash with the K tweets, is Kyle Hamilton a viable pickup at nine if he falls to us? Have him and Jamal Adams convert to a bandit position or a dime safety? I don't think that they would use a number nine selection on a player that's going to be used in such limited roles. I just don't see it happen, happening. And Kyle Hamilton is a very good player. And I he's another one that I've been really surprised. Oh, we didn't like his 40 time. He plays faster on the field, great instincts, good ball skills, will come up and hit you. I think he's a player that there may be some teams that look at Seattle's pick at number nine if he's still there, that try to trade up with the Seahawks if they can get him. The Seahawks just don't have that need at safety. We talked about that a little bit on our Wednesday episode, that this is a really underrated safety class. But that is not a position really of need for Seattle. On day three, you might be able to get a backup that's a viable special teams player, and that would make sense. But that would be a reach. Seattle's got enough needs. There's enough There's enough other good players that I just don't see any reason why they would pick Hamilton there at number nine. Nate in the air tweets, with the first three picks, I'd really like to think we can get three day one starters is cornerback as much of a need with all the signings we did this offseason at nine the best player then at 40 and 41 get the best of the other two spots wouldn't that make more of an impact and so I will say this uh, Nate in the air also has tackle defensive end and linebacker as the three positions that 
he believes are the biggest needs. I still think corner is an area of concern because Artie Burns up to last year had very uneven performance with the Steelers. And there was a reason they didn't re-sign him after his rookie contract ended. He had an injury that cost him the entire 2020 season. Sidney Jones has been banged up throughout his career. Last year was the healthiest season he has had in the league. He is a guy that could take a big leap this year, but you always got to wonder about durability. So if you can get a guy like Sauce Gardner at number nine, that is a player that you absolutely draft with a top 10 selection. Or Derek Stingley even, he's another player that has a very high ceiling. He's been banged up the last couple of years at LSU, but you go back and watch the freshman film, and he looked like a surefire top five pick when LSU won the national championship that year. So there's some really good corners early. There's some good players available in the second and third round that should be on the board that would fit what the Seahawks are looking for. And I think they are looking for a wider variety of corners now, especially if they're going to run more man coverage. And so I do think that it is in that top three, top four needs for the Seahawks that would be up there with obviously tackle, quarterback, defensive end, linebacker. You can kind of put those two together with them running more of a three, four scheme. Uh, but yeah, you got to get the best player available. You don't want to reach. That's really the key here. You're not going to be trying to you know, make another selection like LJ Collier where, oh no, there's been a run on pass rushers. Let's take one that might not be worthy of this selection. You cannot do that with pick number nine and even 40 and 41, early second round, get good value. You don't want to reach for needs necessarily. Go get impact players that can start for you on day one. And this is a draft that fills a lot of their needs anyway. So they shouldn't have any issues doing that in theory. Next question here from Christian Hutton tweets, why would Seattle not acquire Patrick Sertan in the Russell Wilson trade? No way the Broncos would lose out on Russ to keep Sertan. Well, I'm sure the Seahawks probably inquired about his availability, but what you have to consider is that Sertan was a top 10 pick a year ago. So from Denver's perspective, they may have said, we're only going to give you one first round pick if you want Sertan thrown in there. And that's if they were willing to even include him in the trade. He might have been one of their few assets that was considered untouchable here. The Seahawks were able to get one of their other former first round picks in Noah Fant. They were able to get Drew Locke, a solid rotational defensive lineman in Shelby Harris. But if you throw Sertan in there and he was actually available, you're probably going to get a lot less draft compensation. And I think that's really what the Seahawks wanted out of this. They wanted the ability to make a bunch of selections early in the draft the next couple of years so they can reload this roster. And I think that putting Sertan in this trade would have taken away at least one of those high picks, if not more, because he was a very good rookie a year ago, was a top 10 selection coming out of Alabama he would have been a big piece of that trade and there would have been less compensation in the draft department. Next question here coming from Hawks football 12. Have you heard anything on the Seahawks drafting a quarterback this year? So at this point, it's anyone's guess what Seattle is going to do here. As you would expect, they are being very quiet, locking things down, but I can tell you that they've done their due diligence. All of the top five quarterbacks, the consensus top five rookie QBs coming into this class, they had at least one coach representing them at their respective pro days. They met with Malik Willis. They met with Sam Howell. They met with Matt Corral at the Combine. There may have been some other quarterback meetings that are in there that have not been reported as well. They have done their due diligence. And obviously Desmond Ritter this week was at the facility for a top 30 visit. So they're looking into these quarterbacks. The question is, do they love any of them enough to use one of those 
first or second round picks. If any of these guys are there at 40 and 41, there could be a run on quarterbacks late in the first round. And those top five guys might be gone. So it's anyone's guess how much they love the players in this class. If there's one that they believe could be the franchise quarterback and they're sold on, then absolutely they could. But at this point, as far as do I know whether or not they're going to, it's been pretty quiet on that front. It's anyone's guess what the Seahawks are going to choose to do at that position heading into the draft. Matt tweets, do you think trading down at number nine to acquire additional picks is the best bet at this point? Seems like we have a lot of holes to fill. You know, John Schneider is going to be looking for ways to do that because John Schneider has become known as Trader John over the years for a reason. He's always looking for ways to recoup picks, but they haven't had a top 10 pick since 2010, the first year that Schneider and Carroll were in Seattle. It's been a long time. They haven't had a chance to go out and get a blue chip player. And if the right player's there, we broke down five or six prospects the other day earlier on an episode on Locked on Seahawks that would be players that absolutely would be worthy of the number nine selection. If one of those players is available, you don't pass up on the chance to draft a Sauce Gardner, or you don't pass up to draft a player the caliber of Kayvon Thibodeau if he's available there. Those are players you're not going to get outside the top 10 typically. So if you have that top 10 selection, you can get that talented blue chip player, then you draft them. Now, if two or three of those guys are on the board at the same time and you view all of them as impact players, then maybe you can trade down a few spots and still get one of those players while recouping a pick. So that's what really plays into this. If you have a bunch of players that are high on your board that are still there at nine, it gives you the flexibility if you have other teams calling about that pick to be able to trade down. If not, and one of those guys is there, go draft them. Take advantage of that top 10 draft position to bring in a difference maker in the draft. They just haven't had this opportunity to do so in a long time. Last question here real quick from Douglas Tweets. Would you be on board with Jadevian Clowney returning? Clowney obviously still on the market. This has kind of become an annual trend for him, just waiting and waiting and waiting for the right opportunity. Seattle fans know that well from Jadevian Clowney. Watch that took place a few years ago, ended up going to the Titans early in training camp. I think that it would be a good fit to bring him back because he has done a lot of stand-up linebacker on the outside. He's played in a 3-4 He's played some of that sugar over the A-gap standing linebacker before. So he's done that. He's been a movable asset on defense. And last year, maybe was his most complete season as a pass rusher with the Browns. Of course, his injury history. He's getting to be a little older player. Those are things you have to consider. It's all about the price point. But he is a player that has played a lot of snaps in a 3-4 defense. That could make sense to bring back Seattle. He enjoyed his time there. So if the price was able to match up and he had interest in coming back and the Seahawks wanted him back, then certainly I would be on board with it. I think it's a long shot that that happens. If Seattle can find a way to open up a little bit more cap space, then maybe that is the type of player they would bring in after the draft. But for now, I wouldn't get your hopes up that Clowney will be back in Seattle. Going to wrap up our 2022 NFL Draft position-by-position previews here in a moment, going back to offense, a position that at one point looked like it might be a significant need, and now with a few of their offseason moves, doesn't look to be the case. But still, Seattle could potentially draft a tight in this class. I will be looking at several players from that position group upon my return. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed, durable frames, and premium high-end finishes, 
Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Ray's insane protection program. This includes lost and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. Give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use the code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's locked on for the best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. This episode is also brought your way by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models out there on the market, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business. They serve do-it-yourselfers. They've been doing so for 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to all of your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box, so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for listening in and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've reached the conclusion of our 2022 NFL draft position by position reviews. We've looked at linebackers. We've looked at receivers, running backs, tackles, centers and guards, quarterbacks, safeties. We've looked at every group except for one. And going to cap off today with a tight end group that I don't expect to have any players selected in the first 32 picks. But there could be a run on players in this position on day two. And there certainly will be some value on day three. Going into free agency, the Seahawks had Gerald Everett hitting the market. Will Disley was scheduled to be a free agent. So there were some question marks about how the team was going to proceed at the position moving forward. They didn't bring back Everett, but Noah Fant came over as part of the Russell Wilson trade. So you're getting an athletic, soft-handed former first-round pick out of Iowa, a guy that could potentially be a better fit for this scheme than what he was with what Denver was running the last couple of years. He gets to stick with Drew Locke potentially as well. And Will Disley brought back on a three-year, $24 million contract. There have been many fans out there that have scoffed at that particular deal because Will Disley's receiving production has not been great the last couple of years. And he had severe injuries his first two seasons in the league. But he is one of the best run-blocking tight ends out there. They still believe that he can be an asset in the passing game as well. And he's beloved in the locker room. So they opted to keep him. There were other teams that reportedly had interest in paying him similar money. So Seattle decided to pay up to keep somebody they wanted to have on their roster that really fits their offense. So with Fant and Disley both being there, Colby Parkinson coming back, they're hoping for him to still be able to pan out and contribute on offense. Foot injuries have derailed his first two seasons. You have those three players. They seem to be pretty set for this year at the tight end spot. With that said, They're going to be running a ton of 12 personnel with Shane Waldron, two tight ends on the field with Colby Parkinson's injury problems. The fact he hasn't really shown much on the field. He's halfway through his rookie deal already. This could be a make or break season for him. 
the Seahawks might potentially want to add another tight end to that group to really push him or maybe in this case, knock him off the roster. And so I think that that is going to be an interesting storyline to watch going into this draft because this is a class, again, that is not top heavy. I don't see any first round tight ends in this year's class. I don't see a lot of guys that really are in that early to mid second round range either. But there are a lot of really solid players that could get drafted mid-second or later. Third round, I think there might be a run at this position. You look at the top five players on our draft board here in Locked on Seahawks. Trey McBride, to me, is head and shoulders above all the other tight ends in this class. I still don't view him as an elite talent because he doesn't have breakaway speed. He's not one of those type of tight ends that we've seen come into the league over the last decade or so that has the ability to truly stretch the seam and outrun corners and safeties. He's not that athletic, but he's a savvy route runner. He doesn't drop passes, had over a thousand receiving yards for Colorado state last year, only one touchdown. And some of that had to do with the quarterback situation, but he's been the number one weapon in the passing game for Colorado state. He's a guy that's got above average receiving ability. He can block as well. So he is a true two-way tight end. You can play him in line. You can move him outside. My second tight end on my list is Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina, a much different style tight end. He's around 240 pounds. He's built like Gerald Everett is built. And so he's a true move tight end. You're going to be playing him out of the slot. He's going to play some out of the backfield for you potentially. But I think he's a better in-line blocker than advertised. He would probably be my number two tight end out of this class overall because I think he's a better run blocker than most give him credit for. And I think he's got a body that he can grow into. He can get a little bit bigger without compromising his athleticism. But this is a guy that knows how to stretch opposing defenses. And he was a big play threat at Coastal Carolina, put up some really gaudy numbers. Last year, over 900 receiving yards, a guy that hit a bunch of home runs downfield. So there aren't a lot of tight ends in the league that can do that. I think likely he's probably late second going into mid-third range as the number two tight end. And behind those guys, there's some other intriguing names. Kate Otten from Washington, he's been dealing with recovering from an injury that he had surgery on this offseason. Did not run at the combine, was very limited at Washington's pro day. But he is a player that if you watch on tape, he's been outstanding for a Washington team that unfortunately disappointed a year ago, but he can do a little bit of everything. He's got really soft hands. He's a plus athlete. He is a willing and capable blocker. I think he's one of the better blockers in this year's draft class, the tight end position. The Seahawks have had him for one of their local visits here recently as well. So there seems to be some mutual interest. That would be a player, I think, late third round, going into the fourth round, that maybe Seattle could consider. Pick 109, that might be a hot spot for Cade Otten. Looking at a few other tight ends that might make sense for the Seahawks. I'm a big Jake Ferguson fan from Wisconsin. Wisconsin, everybody knows they love to run the football. So Ferguson to play for Wisconsin had to be a willing and capable run blocker. I've seen some draft experts pan him a little bit for his run blocking, but I think he is a plus blocker. And I think he'll be able to hold up as an inline tight end in the NFL. He's also produced at least 300 receiving yards in each of the last four seasons playing for a team that quite frankly doesn't throw the football a lot. He had a really good week in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, caught a touchdown in the actual game. So he can do a little bit of everything, and he just strikes me as one of those prospects that 
Yeah, he ran a 4.8140 yard dash. Not a super explosive athlete, but he's just a good football player. So if you can get him on early day three, that is another player that could really push Colby Parkinson. And it gives you some added depth there at the tight end position. And if you're looking for an athletic freak, Coming from the University of Virginia, Jelani Woods at 275 pounds ran a 4.61 40-yard dash of the combine. He started his career at Oklahoma State and really didn't have much production catching the football. Last year at Virginia had a breakout year where he showed he could be an impact player as a receiving tight end. He's got room to grow both as a blocker and as a pass catcher. There were some drops on film, but with that size and that athleticism, the ability to jump as well. This is a kid that I think moved up from being a mid to late day three pick to potentially being as early as a third round selection. There might even be some teams that would think end of second about picking him because of his athletic upside at 275 pounds. And Charlie Kohler from Iowa State is another one that I'm going to highlight, who is around 6'6", 260 pounds. He is a very good run blocker. And he also had six touchdown catches last year, over 700 receiving yards. He has been a very productive tight end for the Cyclones for the last several seasons. And at one point, there had been some talk about him maybe being a guy that could sneak into day two. That may potentially happen. But right now, I've got him being a fourth, maybe early fifth round pick. Not an overly great athlete from a speed standpoint, but he plays faster on the field has really reliable hands. That is a thing that a lot of these tight ends in this class have. This is a very good class for receiving tight ends in terms of reliability. Maybe you don't have the elite athletes at the position for the most part, but you have a lot of guys that can catch the football and make plays once they have got the football in their hands. And I certainly would include Charlie Kohler in that group, a guy that can also be a real problem in the red zone with his 6'6", 260-pound size. Anyway, slice it, there are some intriguing names there. And with this being a draft class that I don't think is going to have a lot of tight ends go in the first couple of rounds, you might be able to get a really good value pick at the position on day three at some point. And if you're the Seahawks, it's never too early to think about drafting another player to position, especially when you consider Will Disley's injury history. The fact that after year two, they'll be able to opt out of that contract without any issues. If that contract doesn't pan out, they can move on. If you already have that player on the roster, it makes it easier to make those decisions to go with Noah Fant and maybe potentially Will Disley. Who knows? But adding another tight end to the mix could make some sense for the Seahawks on day three. And there's some intriguing players that are capable blockers that also can catch the ball that would be good fits in Shane Waldron's offense. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, I'll be joined by my co-host Nick Lee, and the two of us are going to conduct a live mock draft only two weeks until the real deal. This will be the second to last mock that we do on the podcast. We are getting to the nitty gritty, so we're excited about that. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.